Jesus describes two men. The first is a rich man. Jesus does not tell us the man's name, but he does tell us that this man is dressed to the nines. Today, this would be a person who shopped on M Street in Georgetown or at Tyson's 2, not Tyson's 1. Whenever we read scripture and we see that someone is wearing purple and fine linen, the writer is telling us that the person described is in the upper echelons of society. They are not just upper class. They are a class above. But the rich man in our story is not your average rich man. Luke tells us this man dresses in purple and linen every day. He isn't dressing up only when he goes to dinner at the country club. He isn't dressing up to meet friends or to impress his in-laws. No, he is wearing purple and linen as he waits for his servant to pour his morning coffee. He is wearing purple and linen as he waits in the Mercedes-Benz on M Street for his personal assistant to do the shopping for him. And he's wearing purple and fine linen every meal when he sits down to feast by himself. The second man Jesus tells us about is a poor man named Lazarus. The poor man, Lazarus, lay at the gate at the front of the rich man's home, covered in sores. Lazarus lay there daily, longing to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Lazarus is longing for the garbage that the rich man is going to throw out. Lazarus, according to Jesus, has nothing. And the only companions that Lazarus has are the dogs who lick his sores. While the rich man is inside his home wearing the best clothing and eating the best food that money can buy, Lazarus is laying outside, wasting away. Jesus continues his story with the death of both men. Lazarus dies and is carried away by angels. At the same time, the rich man dies. Someone digs a hole and puts his body in the hole, and then the rich man is off to Hades or hell. Verse 23 is the point where Jesus' story either grabs our attention or we grab our cell phone to start shopping on Amazon. While in hell, the rich man, he is tormented, but he can see across a great chasm, a divide. Abraham, you might remember Abraham from the Hebrew Bible, and Lazarus, the second man in our story, are there. The rich man who had never experienced a moment of torment in his earthly, night, earthly life now calls out to Abraham for mercy and to send Lazarus to serve him with water so that the, he can cool himself from the flames. This is our third week of exploring Jesus' parables. Next Sunday, we will see how, or explore how Jesus' stories invite us to share our gratitude and our generosity. Parables are Jesus' way of making an illustration using an object that's familiar to the original audience with the intent of revealing a biblical truth. Two weeks ago, Pastor Sarah took us through the parable of the lost sheep 
in the parable of the lost coin, exploring how God's grace is indeed extravagant, yet sometimes we believe it to be unfair, because as Pastor Sarah took it, said it, Jesus is in the business of saving losers. Last week, we considered the parable that Robert Capon describes as the hardest parable, the parable of the unjust steward. Again, Jesus reveals that he will save those respectability says are beyond saving. He's in the business, again, of saving losers. But today, our lesson is with the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus takes a different swing. This is a story of luxury, poverty, fire, hell, and still grace. To understand what Jesus is talking about in this parable, we must understand that as Jesus was saying these words, there was a group following behind the crowds that were following Jesus who were not interested in hearing his world-flipping stories. You must know that these wealthy religious leaders have been standing alongside the crowds with their arms crossed, sneering, shaking their heads, as Jesus said, the poor are blessed and the wealthy. Well, we need to sell all that we own because it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of the needle of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. The wealthy religious leaders sneering from the sidelines are Pharisees. The Pharisees are first century Joel Osteen types, minus the perfect hair, spray-on tan, Botox, and capped teeth. They believed, the Pharisees, that wealth and possessions, material prosperity, were signs of God's favor and God's blessing. Today we call this group of preachers, preachers of the prosperity gospel. In the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus has the story backwards. It should be the rich alongside Abraham. And according to the Pharisees, if anybody in this story is going to be tormented, it should be Lazarus. And Jesus knows that the Pharisees are listening. He can see them sneering, shaking their heads, mumbling under their breaths. Which is why, after verse 23, Jesus goes for the jugular. The rich man who knew Lazarus' name, knew Lazarus, well enough to command him like a servant after his earthly life. But Abraham intervened. He knew exactly who Lazarus was, meaning he knew Lazarus had laid outside of his home day after day, wasting away. He saw Lazarus laying outside his home as he left his compound, sitting in the back seat while his driver took him to wherever he needed to go. And upon arriving home, his vehicle would have driven right past Lazarus again. The rich man begs that Lazarus be sent on a mission on the rich man's behalf to, the, to his father's house to warn his family that their fate will be the same should they not change their ways. Again, Abraham refuses the request. Abraham says the rich man's family, just like he had, has Moses. And the prophets. They have the prophet Amos, who warned the rich would be who were first 
in this earthly life would be the first sent into exile. The first sent away from the land they believed God resided in. The first became last because they cared for the, because they failed to care for the ones that God considers first. The way heaven and hell are presented in most church contexts is distilled down to a directional description. If you are good, and I'm assuming you all want to be good, this is what you have to do. You have to follow God's top ten perfectly. You have to attend church every week without missing a Sunday. You have to give 10% or more before taxes of your income to the church. You have to care for the poor at every opportunity, every intersection. You have to vote a certain way, and so on. If you do all of those things all of the time, then you will go up. Up meaning you're off to the pearly gates and roads paved with gold. But if you're not good, if you do not follow God's top ten all the time, if you do not attend church every week, if you do not give 10% of your income before taxes to the church, if you do not care for the poor, and if you still vote a certain way, then you're going to go down. Down meaning you're off to Hades for eternity. That means longer than forever. Not just alongside the worst of the worst. You are the worst of the worst. What Jesus is getting at in this parable is that our successes cannot save us. To keep the streak, our streak, of quoting Robert Capon in worship going for a third week and to challenge Pastor Sarah to do it again next week, this is what Capon wrote. It is not success of any kind that saves, not even success in keeping God's law. It is only the violent disruption of all success proclaimed by the gospel of death and resurrection that can lead to true life in the kingdom of God. Friends, this is not a parable. This is not a story about hell, the final judgment, or heavenly rewards. Our lesson is not a story about the afterlife or how to get where we want to go when it's time to go. Jesus is extending an invitation to the Pharisees then and the Pharisees today, to his followers then and to his followers today, to live as though the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom, is already among us. The kingdom of God broke into the world through Mary's womb, and the cross and the grave could not snuff it out. And it can seem like the chasm is too great. But church, we bear witness to Christ's chasm crossing, Christ's kingdom ruling and grace every time we gather for worship, gathering to proclaim Christ resurrected and ascended. In our witness to Christ's kingdom, we flip not only how others might view the world, but how we ourselves view the world. Setting aside the worth of material lives and instead choosing to put our faith in God's grace. Jesus says that the rich man wouldn't believe a dead man walking into their living room with a Jacob Marley Christmas carol type warning. Lucky for us, though, death 
did not hold back Christ. And death does not hold back Christ's body. Christ's body resurrected, ascended, and Christ's body gathered here this morning. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.